We're going to be over in the book of Isaiah here this morning, chapter 14. Turn in your Bibles there, or you can just look up on the screen, whichever is, is easier for you. There's a story of a man, elderly man. He was getting to the end of his days. He was in a lot of pain. There were some things that were just going wrong with his body. and it, uh, He was just preparing to, to go on and be with the Lord. Been been around for a long time. So as he was sitting up there in his bedroom, he was smelling this wonderful smell. And as it came up the stairs, he, he took in the, the, the aroma and he realized, that's chocolate chip cookies. My wife is making chocolate chip cookies for me. He just loved chocolate chip cookies. And so he, um, I mean, he's in a lot of pain. It's just his body was shutting down on him. He, uh, he got up out of the bed. It was a struggle, but he got up out of the bed. He got over to the steps. He worked his way on down. He's breathing heavy, exerting all this, but he gets down to the bottom of the steps and he can see activity going on in the kitchen. He makes his way over to the kitchen and just kind of tired. He leans up against the doorpost and he looks inside and his wife didn't just make a few cookies. The entire counter is covered in cookies. Cookies all over. He was so excited that as he's preparing to go on to be with the Lord, his wife had done this wonderful thing, last act of love. And so he, less bit of energy he can muster up, he walked over to the, the countertop and he reached for one of the cookies. And his wife slapped his hand with a spatula. And he says, don't, they're for the funeral. <laughs> Sometimes, in being sold out to a cause, we have lost our purpose. We can get so caught out like the woman in the cause of getting the funeral ready, we forgot the purpose of loving the people while they're still here. Sometimes when we go on with God, we can get so caught up in the cause that we've lost the purpose of what we're supposed to be doing. We're going to look at two people, two, uh, two folks who fell, who fell into rebellion. We're going to look at some of the things that happened with them. And look at how we can understand how it can happen for us. How many of you know people who were Christians, sold out for God, and all of a sudden turned their back on them? And you wonder, how can anyone do that? How can anyone who loved the Lord like this one loved the Lord, how can they do that? Have you ever been in a relationship where you felt the people really loved you and cared for you and you loved them and cared for them and then all of a sudden... They turn their back on you. Have you ever wondered, how could that happen? We were so close. Things had gone on so well. You see, husbands and wives, they're, they're so close for a while, and then all of a sudden, they split up, they get divorced, they go their different ways. How does it happen that people who are so close can fall away in that way? Well, we're going to look at this and understand it better from the Word of God. Because as we understand it, we can be on guard against it happening to us. One of the things the Word of God tells us is that when we stand and correct other people that are in, in, um, have fallen into a place they shouldn't have fallen into, as they have done that, we need to correct them in such a way as that we realize I could fall in that too. And uh, to be careful that we don't fall in it in that way. Last week we looked at Gehazi. We saw his rebellion that he fell into. And one particular verse that we spent some time on was when... Gehazi saw that his master let 
Naaman go away without giving any kind of an offering. It says in verse 20, 2 Kings chapter 5, But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Look, my master has spared Naaman this Syrian while not receiving from his hands what he brought. But as the Lord lives, I will run after him and take something from him. First off, he calls Elisha his master. But then he questions what he does. He says he has spared Naaman the Syrian. In other words, there's something that should have been done and my master didn't do it. Well, if he really saw him as his master, would he be the one giving the instructions in this thing? While not receiving from his hand what he brought. He saw that Naaman brought some things. He had dedicated them to God. He had brought them for the purpose of giving them. And he let him go without getting them. But then he says, but as the Lord lives. In other words, I'm on a commission from God. I'm going to go get something. We saw that rebellion came. And we looked at how that turned out. It didn't turn out too well for Gehazi. But we're going to go over to the book of Isaiah. A very well-known scripture. In Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 12. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. And I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you saying in this the man who made is this the man who made the earth tremble who shook kingdoms who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities who did not open the house of his prisoners now most of us are familiar with this great rebellion probably the greatest rebellion i wasn't aware of this particular author until um we had that election um, a number of years ago when uh, the now president ran for election the first time. And one of the things that came out, of course, the mainstream news media didn't bring it out, but one of his um, people that he respected the most wrote a book on rebellion. How to do it. And used in the beginning, his example, the greatest, pers- the greatest rebeller of all time, Lucifer. And modeled a lot of things after his rebellion. I'm not sure why you would take that as a book to, to go after or watch somebody who write that. But anybody who write a book like that, I'd probably just, uh, I'd, I'd write them off. I'd, that'd be over. <laughs> but you look at this as a story of a person who rebelled, or Satan who rebelled against God, and you look at it as bad. Some people actually have looked at this as good. Can you imagine that? Well, some people did. You, of course, won't. But this is... This is our story. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer. Look at what he does. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mountain of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds and I will be like the most high. Five I wills that he said. Now think of where Lucifer is. Lucifer is, it's stated, he is in heaven. 
How many have always thought of heaven as just a spectacular place? How many can't wait to get to heaven? I have to sometimes be careful how much I study on heaven because I can get so excited about getting there, I don't want to be here anymore. Because this place is drab compared to what heaven is going to be like. Oh, heaven's going to be wonderful. Here is someone who was in heaven. In heaven. We, we look, we'll look into the Ezekiel passage too. But he had a high place in heaven. The Word of God says that he was perfect. He was beautiful. But he is in this great place, in this phenomenal position, serving the Most High God in the most beautiful of places there is. And this is what he says. I will ascend into heaven. Word of God says, For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. And I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Five I wills to take him from a place lower than God and put him into a place where he was higher than God. His goal was to take God down. Now, think of the relationship that was there. God has his, one of his greatest creations. They had to have a good relationship. They had to have a close fellowship. They had to do a lot of things together. Ezekiel tells us he was the cherub that covered. He was one of the archangels. High place. And he fell from that. Can you imagine having that close of a relationship with God and walking away? Turning your back on it and deciding I can have something better. It's not too hard to imagine why close friends of yours have suddenly turned their back, why husbands and wives have suddenly turned their back on each other, and why people who served God so fervently left Him and didn't serve Him anymore. If it could happen to Lucifer, who was in such a great place, who things around were perfect, oh, how it can happen to us. I was looking over some of my notes from uh, years ago. I, uh, from what I can tell, it's been about 15, 14, 15 years since we've gone over who Satan was, where he came from, and all that sort of stuff. So maybe we'll have to pick that up. We're not going to pick all that up today. But maybe we'll spend some time in, down the road. But he had these five I wills. Take a look at Ezekiel 28. This tells us some things about him. This is a prophecy that was taken up against the king of Tyre. But as we go into the prophecy, you find out he's not talking about the king of Tyre. He has gone beyond that and gone to the power behind the king of Tyre. Son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, Thus says the Lord God, you were the seal of perfection. Would a heathen king be the seal of perfection? Full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Does that sound like he's describing a heathen king? You were in Eden. The garden of God. Now, one thing I don't understand about the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden was not created for Adam and Eve. The Garden of Eden existed before Adam and Eve. It was here long before. It was destroyed in the flood, but gotten the first flood. 
the flood that Peter talks about, the flood that destroyed the earth that then was, not Noah's flood. Noah's flood does not destroy the earth. There was a flood prior to it because when you come into the story of Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That is the creation story, folks, not the rest of the chapter. That is the creation story. That's the only word that you have creation used in chapter 1 as far as relating to the, to the earth. It's not used again. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth, if you have your King James Bible, and the earth was formless and void. But the same Hebrew word there can be translated one of two ways, either was or became. If you read it as the earth became formless and void, it makes a little bit more sense. But there's also a verse, I believe it's in Isaiah, that talks about that God did not create the earth formless and void. If God didn't create the formless and vo- earth formless and void, how did it get there? Well, if you get into this whole chapter and we get into the doctrine of Satan and where he came from and so forth, you see that Satan was not only had a place in heaven as the covering cherub, he also had a place on the earth and that there were nations on the earth under him. And when he fell in rebellion, he led those nations into rebellion as well. I don't know that all of them followed, but I know that a number of them did. All you need to do to figure this out, is this new, this shouldn't be new to too many of you folks. It's, we'll just give it to you briefly here. You have the archangels, which as far as we know, how many archangels do we have? Two. Originally, there was probably only one. Michael is a replacement. When Satan fell, Michael was put into that position as best that we can tell. You have fallen angels that are in Satan's kingdom. Fallen angels are similar to heavenly angels. Do do heavenly angels have a body? When When they show up to people, do people see them? Can they touch them? Can they eat? Yeah, they can do all these things. They have a body. It's just not a body like yours. It's a body that can travel through space. It's a body that can travel through walls. It's a body that can be big and then small. It's an incredible body. And they have one. They have a body. If you have a body, can you possess another body? No. (laughs) You already have a body. Right? So where do demons come from who possess people? The Word of God doesn't doesn't say that they're fallen angels. It says they are disembodied spirits. Where did disembodied spirits come from in Satan's kingdom if they're not fallen angels? They came from the nations, the race of people that was here when he fell, that he brought into judgment and they're on his side. They are disembodied spirits. And they go around and they they do some of his work, but they're not on the level of fallen angels. Anyway, we could spend more time on, on all that. It's all interesting. doesn't really help you how you live your life down here. Just understand the kingdom of Satan where it goes. But there was a group of, of a nation of, of people who walked on the face of the earth. They may have walked on the face of the earth when dinosaurs were here. But that whole group of people was wiped out in a flood that covered the entire world all at one time. It destroyed everything. Every living thing was destroyed because of the water. When God comes in back into the Genesis chapter 1, he, he first off commands that the water recede. 
and go back into the earth and he made a firmament up on the top. Some of the water went and covered the earth up top. Some of the water went into the earth underneath and the land came back into being. Then he made the, the plants and he made the animals. He brought the sun back and the sun was still there. We've talked about this before. You cannot have water on a planet without a sun. It is impossible because you don't have gravity. You don't have heat. Water only exists within a temperature of, what, 32 degrees and 200 and some odd degrees. That's a small range of temperatures in this, as far as the space goes. Small range. Otherwise, you have a gas or you have it frozen. But in order for there to be water, it must be warmer than 32 and cooler than 200 and what, 35, whatever the... 212? 212. Somewhere in that range. You cannot maintain that range on the planet without a sun. You cannot maintain water or anything on the planet without a sun for the earth to rotate around for there to be gravity so that the stuff doesn't float away. God does not create the sun in Genesis chapter 1 when he says, let there be light. He simply allows, and that's exactly what the word means, let there be light is not the word to create. He's putting back a principle that was in operation before, back in operation again. So the six days of creation that everyone wants to say was either 6,000 years or six days of stuff, hogwash. It's garbage. The earth was created way before that and how long God took to do it, I have no idea. He doesn't tell us. He just said, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the story. You want more details than that? Wait till you get to heaven. You probably couldn't comprehend it anyway. None of us could. But he was back there. He was in Eden when it was there the first time. He was in the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardis, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, onyx, jasper, sapphire, uh, turquoise, emerald, with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. It says God established him. Wow. You were perfect in your ways. From the day you were created <coughs> till iniquity, iniquity was found in you. From the time that Lucifer was created until the time that he said in his heart, I will, he was perfect. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of, the, of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. You defiled your sanctuaries by the multitude of your iniquities, by the iniquity of your trading. Therefore, I brought fire from your midst to devoured you, and I turned you to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who knew you among the peoples are astonished at you. You have become a horror and shall no more, and shall be no more forever. There were peoples that knew him. He had beauty, he had wisdom, he had place. He was in a high place in the kingdom of God. He was in position, he had a position, an honored position. But these all became insufficient and he wanted more. 
as Brother Mike was talking about here this morning. God will supply all your need. He suddenly saw himself as lacking in something and didn't turn to God to supply it. He turned to himself. Became insufficient and he wanted more. Matthew 26, verse 14, reads of Judas. Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out to him thirty pieces of silver. So from that time, he sought opportunity to betray him. How can a person who is sold out for the cause of Jesus, gave up everything, followed him for three and a half years, suddenly turned to the place where he betrays him for 30 pieces of silver. I don't know about you, but that does not sound like a good wage for three years. In Matthew 27, 3, Then Judas' betrayer, seeing that he had been condemned, was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders. It would seem that whatever he thought he was going to get didn't quite materialize and he was remorseful at the end. In John chapter 13, verse, verse 2, And suffer being ended, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. He had already put it in his heart to betray the Lord Jesus, the one whom he worked with for three years, three, three and a half years, the one who he left everything, the devil put in his heart to betray him. How do you get it in your heart? Understand when Judas was picked, he was not a betrayer. He was a disciple. He was just as fervent a disciple as the other 11. He did not come in there saying, I'm going to infiltrate this bunch and I'm going to bring this bunch down. That's not what he was doing. He came in to be part of this kingdom, to be part of this group. He served God. He saw him as Messiah. He saw him as the Son of God. That revelation came to him as it came to the other 11. How do you get from that place to the place where you sell him out for 30 pieces of silver? In John chapter 12, verse 1, Then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead, there they made him a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Then one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not always have. So here we have that he came in, he was entrusted as one of the twelve, but then he also was specifically trusted with the money. Our Savior does not put the money in the hands of a thief, he puts the money in the hands of one of his trusted disciples and he became corrupted by the money. It brought out some desires on the inside. He decided he could have more than he had and didn't go to, to God for the supply. He went to himself. How can I do this? Well, I can take a little bit because there's so much coming in. I can take some and they won't miss it. And then after, you know, he probably had a good justifiable purpose for taking that little bit of sum and then that little bit of sum became a little bit more and then it became a little bit more and then it became easy to do this and then after a while it just was second hand to him it wasn't even a big deal 
This is just something that we do. We just uh, take a little bit for ourselves. And then he saw this going on and he said, why was this not sold? What he is saying is, why does the Lord receive this offering? In the same way that Gehazi said last time we looked, why did my master not receive the offering? He says, why did he receive this this way? It should have been sold instead of poured out on his feet. Why was it wasted in this manner? And Jesus said, hey, 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 it's not wasted. She's anointed me for my burial. I wonder if Mary even knew that. She just felt impressed that she ought to take this and anoint him with it and did so. But this, when, they, when he saw that, it seemed to be an opportunity that the devil took and he sowed this into him. He embraced that thought. He says, My, Jesus is not doing the right things. I need to straighten him out. I need to fix this. Now, Peter tried to straighten him out before too. How'd that go? <laughs> it wasn't, wasn't so well. And Jesus openly rebuked him. But he's trying to do this underhandedly. Now, Jesus knows what's going on. That's why he said at the, at the dinner, the one that I dipped the bread with, he's the one who's going to betray me. And he gave it to Judas. So he, Judas knew. I, I haven't, uh, he, he knows what's going on. He knows what's happening. All right, let's take a look at some of these things. Here's the path to rebellion. There is a path to rebellion. The first part of this path is we first believe in God or the leader he put in charge. The first path, the first step you must take in order to become one who rebels in this manner is you must come to a place of belief. A person who does not believe in God does not get to this place. They cannot become this. You have to, first of all, get to the place where you believe. I put this in your outline for you. If we do not become fully immersed, we will not become aggressively rebellious. If we do not become fully immersed, we will not become aggressively rebellious. Now, think of it this way. Think of some of those close friends who walked out on you. The reason that it hurt you the way it did was because you were invested. Because you were fully immersed. Right? If you were not fully immersed, if you were not invested in that relationship, when they walked away, it wouldn't have bothered you. How many have ever met somebody in a grocery store one time, struck up a conversation, had a fun time, and they went on your way, and you went on your way, and you never gave it another thought? You weren't invested in that relationship. But when you have a relationship and you are invested in it and you spend time with that person and you share with that person and you do things with that person and then they all of a sudden walk out from you, you're left, what happened? What happened? And generally, it's one person who walks out on the other. Sometimes you have a mutual walking out on each other. But most of the time, isn't it that one person walks out and the, the other one, why did, why did this happen? What's going on? We have to, first of all, come to a place of belief because if we are not fully immersed, we will not become aggressive rebellion, aggressively rebellious. It's one thing to stop believing and it's another to work to undermine. When Paul would talk, wrote it in the epistles, doesn't he speak about people who were once on his team and went out and undermined the gospel, taught false things, undermined his teaching, undermined the churches. And he was, uh, he was upset at it. So we have to first believe. 
once we fully commit or become sold out to the cause, we can be stirred up when the, when the goal is not being pursued the way that we think it should be. So here's what happens is I fall into a place of, of belief. I become, come to a place of belief in the gospel. I come to a place of belief in Jesus as my Savior, in the Word, and I become committed to it and I sell out to it. I show up at church on a regular basis. What the Word of God tells me to do, I go ahead and I do it. I pray. I talk with God. I learn about the things of God. I do these things. And I am getting myself fully committed into what's happening. And as I do, see, if I don't, if I don't hit this second step, I cannot become the type of rebellious person like a Judas or like Lucifer or like people that have been in your life that have done some of these things. Can't do it. I have to get to that place of commit. I have to get to that place where I am fully committed into the thing. And once we do that, once we are fully committed, now we are set, as far as the enemy is concerned, you are set to possibly be deceived into rebellion. See, until you get to this spot, you're not too much of a target. But as soon as you get to that place where you are sold out for the things of God and you are doing things for God, then this is what he begins to do because it's the exact same pattern that he followed and it's the exact same pattern that Judas followed and the same one that others have done as well. You begin to question the people or the God who is ahead of you. In the garden, everything is perfect, everything is going well. And what does the devil say to Eve? Has God really said? And then he begins to get her to question his motives. God just wants you to not become as he is, knowing both good and evil. And this is what the enemy tries to do. He tries to get you to, he tries to get thoughts into your head that you will embrace and bring down into your heart to where you begin to think the people that I am serving, the God that I serve does not have my best interest or is not doing it the best way. It happened to Gehazi with Elisha. It happened with Judas and Jesus Christ. It happened with Lucifer and God the Father. They began to say, they don't have my best interest. They're not doing this the best way. It can be better. Can you imagine being under Jesus, the Son of God, and feeling like it could be better? He's missing it. He's not doing some things right. Can you imagine being under Elisha, the prophet, and telling him, you know, <laughs> you need to wise up. You're just not doing it right. Now, if you look at Elisha with Elijah, and Elijah had a lot of character, or not character, he had a lot of personality deficiencies. And Elisha doesn't question any of them. He just follows right along. He just goes after, he, he's, he's my master. What can I do for you? What can I get for you today? You see the difference? But this is what the enemy tries to do. Once you get to that place where you are fully committed, don't think he's afraid of it. He'd rather, he'd rather keep you not committed because then you don't do anything against his kingdom. 
But if you get to get, do get to that place where you are fully committed to the kingdom of God, he still says, I still have a strategy for pulling you down. If I can't keep you from getting there, I got a strategy to pull you down. I'm going to begin to sow thoughts into your life to tell you how God can do things better. Now, th- th- tell me if this has ever happened with you. You have been facing a difficult situation, let's say, in the area of healing. And the thought comes, if I was God and I saw all that I did for his kingdom and all the things that I have done, I would have healed me already. Right? And we can begin to embrace that. Or you do it, you do it this way. If I was God and he saw all that I've done and all the things that I've received, all the abuse that people have done as I continue to serve him, and yet I have continued to serve him. If I was God, I would have blessed my socks off with supply. But God hasn't done that for me. I'm still having a hard time. I'm still messing with this disease or this this situation. If I was God, I would have blessed me with these kind of people around instead of the ones that I have. If I was God. If God knew what he was doing, he would see he's got a gold mine in me. But has God met with me at nighttime and talked to me about my future? No. Who's he meet with? He meets with people like Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He meets with them. He's got time for them. You don't have time for me. <laughs> and we begin to look at all these stories in the Word and we see how he took time and talked with these different ones. And we begin to think, why hasn't he taken time for me? It won't take long. I mean, God has all this time. He's supposed to be so interested in me, counting the hairs of my head. Stop counting the hairs of my head and start spending some real quality time with me. Show up and like, give me a dream. Give me a vision. Right? And we begin to look for these things. And we can be primed. The devil can say, all right, now send him one of our visions. How many of you ever heard people who had serving God, seeking after God, and got a vision of some angel, told him something. He said, what? You believe that? Why? Because they were set up for it. They were made prime. They served God fervently. And he dropped the thought in, into their head. God should be doing more for you because of all that you are doing for him. Hmm. What did Jesus say he was going to go back to heaven to do for you? And would I go to prepare a place for you? A little shack, right? A little shack, you know, maybe, maybe a, a basement apartment. Something like that, right? Is that what he's, he's getting for you? No, he's uh, in, my, in, my, uh, in heaven, in my father's house. There are many mansions. Hmm. He didn't say any apartments, did he? So he's working on that for you. Building a, building a place building a place for you. Where? Heaven. Heaven. And he went to heaven to send you a great gift. What was that gift he sent you? The Holy Spirit. Hmm. And he gave us his Bible. The Word. So we can sometimes look down on all the things that he's given us. And begin to Pick on him for why hasn't he done this? Now, it happened in relationships as well. You may have a real close friend, someone who you spend a lot of time with, someone that you enjoy, 
and all of a sudden they disappeared on you. Why? Well, some, how many have ever heard about it from, you know, down the road, through the grapevine, people comes back, well, I didn't like the way that they did. And they never asked you, never talked to you about it. They just went off on that thing and that's what happened. Husbands and wives do that. Well, I began to think that they were, we have a great boss, but we think that that boss can be better. We have a great company we work for, but we think it can be better. We're not led by what the Spirit of God is leading us to. We're led by needs, desires, and wants. And instead of letting God supply those needs, desires, and wants, we decide He's not doing a good enough job, so I need to step in. I need to help Him out. And you become prime to become rebellious. Except the thing is this. You'll be just like Judas. You don't realize you're rebelling to the degree that you are. You think you're actually helping this get across. There's been supposition because of the things that uh, Judas was, where he came out of, the group he was uh, tied in, that he saw Jesus coming as a military leader and he was not taking that place and that he betrayed him to put him in a place that he would exercise that military position. I don't know if that's the absolute truth or not, but it could be. Could just be he was mad at him because he wasn't doing things right. Whatever it was, he had remorse for it afterwards. It didn't go the way he thought it would. And he had remorse for it. But now how do you go back? You can't really go back. You're fully committed. Once embraced, well, as we put it, number three there, seeds are sown, thoughts are doubts, that things can be done better or that my plan would be better. This is a seed. It, he can only sow these things as, as a thought. It's up to you to embrace the thought and bring it into your heart. He doesn't do that. The enemy cannot put things in your heart. The enemy puts things in your head. You take them from your head, meditate on them, give life to them, and then you pull it down into your heart. That's what happened with Judas. It was in his head, but he kept thinking on it, meditating on it, and pulled it down into his heart. Once embraced, they can lead to a few things. First off, anger against. If I take these things, I become very angry at the person that I see doing this. These seeds have been sown in me against. I became very angry at God. How many of you know people that are angry at God that used to go to church all the time? Used to serve God, talk about God, worship God, and now they are angry at God. Why? Because a seed was sown in their head. They embraced it, brought it down into their heart. They are not innocent in this. They embraced it. They brought it down to their heart. God gave them the word which would have diffused it, but they didn't take that. And you become angry against God. You can become angry against someone, but anger begins to stir up and you become angry against them. Second one is actions to undermine you may fall into some actions to purposely undermine that individual or you may undermine, try and undermine God. Some of these people who came out of this committed relationship with God have now gone out and are actively trying to undermine the faith of other people. How many of you know some folks that still serve God but maybe they got into understanding some things taught on faith and it didn't work for them and now they actively go around to undermine the faith of others. Oh, you shouldn't believe that. That's, that's all wrong. 
That's wrong. Then they would come in there and, and do that. Corey sent me an email uh, last night, some of the, uh, vi- uh, one of the videos that was up there today. And so I, I, I got in this morning. I said, uh, I'll download that. We'll have it all ready. So we did that. But as I downloaded this one, I don't know if you saw these, but on my comp- particular computer, you know how you, you pull up a YouTube thing and on the right-hand side, it gives you all these other suggested videos? Well, it had all these suggested videos and, and a couple of them in particular, I just said, what? And so I clicked on one of them. And it was amazing. Preacher stands up in such and such a church to renounce the pastor. It's a big church. And sure enough, this, this guy, he stood up, holding his Bible up, saying the things that he wanted to say. And then he was eventually escorted out. And of course, he, he went with them and you know, righteous persecution and so forth like that. But I don't care if the pastor was wrong. That's not how you do it. That is not how you do it. And you just, I guess from the moment it started, I looked at his face and said, oh dear, if only he could see the deception he's fallen into. He hadn't even opened his mouth up yet. Hadn't even opened his mouth up. And there was a few others that went on and, and talked about these, these different people getting up and that's just not a right thing to do. You, you, you just don't need to mess with it. If God tells you go deliver a message and you go deliver a message, but you don't do what that's, that is. But they will have actions to undermine. And the people who do it feel completely justified in doing it. Just as Judas felt completely justified in taking money from the till. Completely justified in selling out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Completely justified for second guessing why he's allowing his feet to be anointed. Here's the third one. Anger against, actions to undermine. Third one, rebellion to replace. That's what Satan fell into. I'm going to replace God. He needs to be removed. He's not doing a good job as God. I need to take that spot. And that's what he's going to do. He's going to, I'm going to send my, myself, I'm going to put myself in his place in heaven. I'm going to take that throne. Rebellion to replace. And people have rebelled and people have gone out and tried to replace. We saw this in the Bible. How many times did the people of Israel rise up to replace Moses? <laughs> How about at the, the foot of the mountain when Moses is up getting the, the Ten Commandments and the law from God? What did they do? They replaced God. Made some gold calves. These are your gods that led you up out of the land of Egypt. They replaced God. When Israel rebelled against King David and went their own separate ways, they set up their own gods. They follow after the Baals. Word of God says, Thou shalt have no other God before me. They didn't do that. They had other gods. Multiple ones. Anger against, actions to undermine, and rebellion to replace. And here's the thing. They feel completely justified in doing it and even feel that God's on their side. What does the children of Israel say after Aaron crafts the two golden calves? These are your gods, O Israel who led you up out of the land of Egypt. When we go along this path, I don't feel like I've left my belief or commitment. I often feel that few are as sold out as I am. Most of these people feel completely sold out in the cause for which they're, they're pursuing. I'll put this in your outline for you. Spiritual growth involves progression. And there's three things we progress from. Spiritual growth involves progression from doing, first off, 
what is commanded of me. When you first become born again, you receive the commands of God and you do what God has commanded. Thou shalt, thou shalt not. Right? Thou shalt not forsake the assembly of yourselves together. In other words, thou shalt go to church. Thou shalt worship the Lord and Him only. These are some of the things you're supposed to do. You should read the Word. These are things that the Bible tells us are good things to do. You know, the Bible is given. It's good for edification and so forth. It's what is commanded of me. I learn this from His Word. I learn what is commanded from His Word. Here's the second one. What is revealed to me? I go from what is commanded to me to what is revealed to me. Too often people get what's commanded and they never get beyond it and they start to crush people with the letter of the law. But as we pursue God, we get to know His Spirit and His Spirit begins to enlighten us. Do you know what that really means? Oh, I didn't see that before. Remember the first time your eyes were opened to understand Revelation and God spoke a revelation to you about His Word, about something that you were facing? Oh, wasn't that different? Oh, that was good. That's the second part. What is revealed to me? I learned the voice of His Spirit here. I'm learning the voice of His Spirit. His Spirit is speaking to me. I not only know the voice of His Word, I know the voice of His Spirit and His Spirit is speaking to me. It's telling me things. It is giving me revelation. And now I operate on that revelation as well as the written Word. When the Pharisees brought the woman who had sinned before Jesus, they said, this is what the law says, but what say you? They were speaking out of what was commanded. But they didn't understand the spirit of the law. Jesus spoke out of what was revealed. And it was totally in agreement with the word of God. But they couldn't see that. They couldn't get past that. Second level of growth. What is revealed to me? Here's the third one. What is desired from me? What is desired from me? I learn his will. I learn the will of God. I learn what he desired, what he wants me to do. And I begin to to do that. One of the greatest ways we saw this, when I was going to, to Rhema, uh, Brother Hagen was still there. The dress code has changed a lot since then. I'm speaking about when I was going to the, to the school. When I was going to the school, Brother Hagen used to tell us, Brother Hagen always came into class. Every, every time he was in class, you never saw this man outside of a suit, coat, and tie. Never. Sport coat at least, tie, every time he was there, it, no matter what the church service was. It didn't matter if it was a morning service on a Wednesday. It didn't matter if it was an evening service on a Thursday. It didn't matter if it was a Sunday night service, Sunday morning service. Whenever you saw him in a service, he had on a tie, a shirt, a coat, a suit, something. It was always, always there. He may take it off as he's ministering to people, but he always came with those things on. And he always used to tell us the importance of that. He would teach us why that was important. Raymond's dress code was this. When we got there, the dress code was dress shoes, dress pants, dress shirt. That was it. Now, I'm, I'm talking about the guys. Girls had, you know, they had different dress codes and on that. They weren't supposed to, I don't think they were supposed to wear pants. I think it was skirt and dress and, and stuff and things like that uh, for, the, for the school. When you showed up at school, that's what you're supposed to have. Now, they let us know this is what's, this is what is, uh, this is basically the commandment. This is basically, you know, what we're, we're throwing out. This is the, the command. But he says, those of you, this is, I remember, I don't remember who it was, but one of our professors said this, those of you that are going to make it are going to go beyond this. You're going to do more. 
And I was a typical guy, you know, in high school and stuff like that. I didn't like ties. I didn't like dressing up for church. Didn't like it. Went on down there. And for the first, uh, first while, all I did was what was required. I had dress shirt, uh, dress shirt, dress pants, and a belt. You had to wear a belt too. You don't show up without a belt. And um, dress pants, dress shoes, had all that done, done. And your hair could not touch the collar. Your hair touched the collar. Dean Moffat, at the time he was my dean, he'd come over and he'd just tap you on the shoulder. Son, get a haircut. That was it. He never tapped me on my shoulder. Always had my hair cut short enough for, for that. Anyway, that's what was expected. And so we went on through that in the, in the year. And uh, one of the times I was flying home, I, uh, it, it kind of got a hold of me. And I flew home. I put on my suit. Put on my suit. To this day, I still like wearing a tie when I go on a, on a plane. Don't always do it. But you know, if we're going on vacation to some place, and I haven't done it all the time, but I, I love putting a tie on when I, when I go fly. Anyway, we, we were doing this, and, and I remember my, my parents, the one time they dropped me off at the airport, this is when you could actually walk in the airport, remember those days? You could actually walk into the airport, walk down to the gate, yeah, well, they, well, they walked me on in, and, and one person came up to us and said, how do you get your son to wear a suit and tie? They said, we have no idea. We sent him to the school, he came back wearing suits and ties, we don't know what happened. <laughs> but you see, they said, this is the command, here's the expectation. When we walked into the first First class, second year pastor's class, we had 400 people in that class. Every single one of the gentlemen not only had a shirt and tie on, they had a suit. At the time, I owned two suits. I wore one one day and one the other. Every single one. And that lasted until the last day of class. When we all went on home, everyone had that. Why? Because they built up an expectation. They said, this is our will this is our desire for you. This is what we're going to command out of you. This is what we're going to tell you. But here's where you need to be. That's what God does for us. He says, this is what I'm going to command of you. But this is where you need to be. And you get there by learning His Word, learning His Spirit, and then going the extra mile and saying, I'm going to learn His will. What does he want me to do? What does he desire that I do? And that's where we have to get. I put, it, I put this in my outline. It's not in yours. I divide, divided this three ways. Remember Ezekiel? When Ezekiel looked out over the valleys and the valley was filled with dry bones and he said, speak to the, speak to the bones and they all came back together and they formed whole skeletons. And he spoke to them again and then flesh filled out the skeletons. And then what happened after that? The breath of life came out upon them and they became alive. Think of that when you think about this. When you understand the commands, it's the skeleton. It's the backbone. It's the thing that keeps everything in, uh, in, in line. The skeleton. The things that are revealed, that's what put flesh on the skeletons. Skeletons are not pretty to look at. Body looks much better when you have flesh and bone, and muscle, and so forth on that. But even if you just have that, you just have a lifeless uh, uh, part. Of what, what happens now? We need the life to be breathed into God's life. And he comes and he speaks that. Just think of it that way. Three different parts. Understand what he commanded. Understand 
You need to grow into what he revealed. And then it's up to you. What does God desire? And you see, the rebellious person will not get into that. They stay with what I desire. But you need to get to a place. What does God desire? You have those close relationships. What do they desire? What does that person desire? You serve a boss. What does that boss desire that I do? doesn't matter whether you think it's right or wrong. What does that boss desire? doesn't matter if you think what God desires is right or wrong. You will do it because your God desires to get it done. If you get yourself into that spot, you will not fall into a rebellious mode. You will be immune from it. The same way that you'll be immune from having that happen to you in the relationship that you have. It doesn't mean they won't do it to you. And when they do, how many of you have ever felt guilty because you must have done something wrong if someone you were very close to fell away? But yet Judas fell away from Jesus. Did Jesus do anything wrong? Lucifer fell away from God. Did God do anything wrong? Gehazi fell away from Elisha. Was there any fault on the part of Elisha? How many leaders under Moses fell away? Was there any fault in Moses? Were there not also the Joshua's and the Caleb's who flourished under Moses? Whether you flourish under the leader that you have, under the relationships that you have, or under the God that you serve, depends far more on you than on anything else. Will you hit all three stages for growth? If you stop at the first one, you'll never really grow. If you're getting what God has revealed to you, that's great, and you will grow a whole lot more. But you need to get over to that third spot. What does God desire? For most of us, we have what we desire, and it trumps what God desires. What does God desire of you? Will you do it because God desires it? If you will, you will make yourself immune to ever rebelling against him. You will become immune to rebellion. If you don't, understand some great great people in the Word of God who did some great things, who had great power flowing through them, rebelled against God. We can do it too. When those thoughts come in to second-guess God, to second-guess His leaders, to second-guess the people He's put in your life to help you, do not embrace it. Don't become like Judas. Don't become like Ahazi. Don't become like Lucifer. Don't follow after their example. Follow after the Joshua's and the Caleb's. Follow after the Peter's and the John's. Follow after, follow after these people. That's where we want to be. Would you all stand up with me? Glory to God. Father, you are here to help us. You are here to grow us. You have our best interest in mind. You desire good things for us and you take out of your supply to give us. We thank you, Father, that you supply all of our need according to your riches and glory. Whatever it is that we have need of, all we need to do is ask. Thank you, Father, for loving us the way that you do, caring for us the way that you do. We want to be on guard and know that the enemy is going to try and take our commitment our love, and turn it against us. 
But we are, we are wise to his ways. We are aware of what he tries to do. And we won't let it happen. We give you the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. We've got some praise re- reports here today. Let's hear what it is that God has been, been doing. Here, do I have everybody's? Praise God. All right, Naz had an appointment last Monday and got a second job interview, but for a sub-position, not what you wanted. Nevertheless, I took it and filled out paperwork with HR, still praying, and a few hours later, that same day, the hiring person called back informing me that the p- position I really needed opened up again only for three more days, and that I should immediately apply again. This was not advertised. I called Josiah at work, and he helped me to do this via special email. (coughs) I would go on Wednesday at 9 a.m. for the formal interview again. They were very impressed with my resume and personal interview and really want me for this job. Praise God. I thank God for the the way he works in mysterious ways. Amen. Maybe you know we can claim that as done in Jesus' name. Amen. He gives us our heart's desire. Hallelujah. Josiah said, I was having a stressful day. Now, wait a minute. Naz, that's this week? You go this Wednesday? Yeah. Okay. All right. Praise God. We'll pray for that. You what? Amen. All right. Um, I was having a stressful day during the week, and on that day, I sowed an act of kindness. The very next day, an act of kindness was returned to me, and I was encouraged. I thank God for um, knowing exactly what I needed to hear. Praise the Lord. Ray said, in the past two weeks, there have been a series of blessings to our family. They got refunds for dental overpayments and medical equipment, and Ange won um, several hundred dollars. Praise God, praise God. I like that when money comes rolling in. Um, And what Ange won almost completely paid for Sarah's combination birthday Christmas gift of a new laptop. Hallelujah. Amen. Y'all are too quiet. Are you excited about this or what? Come on. We're praising God here. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Susan said the, the radio interview went well. She says, I'm thanking the Lord for the opportunity to share with others what he's done in my life. That's awesome. Encourage other people. I love the fact that God gives us the opportunity to do it through the airways and TV mm-hmm. and all these other avenues. Um, Vanessa, while cleaning out my aunt's house, we found quite a large sum of money. Praise the Lord. I was telling her this morning about that, that, you know, when I used to sell real estate, I told all my clients when they were selling estates, I said, be very careful not to throw things away because older people sometimes put money inside of receipts, inside of rolled up tissues, so you never know what you'll find. (laughs) Um, Anna says, I thank the Lord for being able to sleep and have no problem breathing every night since she had prayer last week. Hallelujah. He's our healer. Um, and Daryl says, I want to thank God for giving me the wisdom to solve several problems that he faced yesterday. He gives liberally. Amen, amen. And I want to thank God for, um, I was at a, a, a conference recently, and I got to see firsthand people being delivered from the power of the enemy. I saw one young w- woman, and she died just getting goosebumps all over thinking about this, but God delivered her from a spirit of suicide. And halfway through the service and after she was delivered she got up and just during worship began to dance before the lord in such a way the power of god that fell on that place was i just can't even begin to explain it to you she was just so full of gratitude and thankfulness that god the anointing when it's present we can't miss it 
You know, we have to take advantage of it because it's there for a purpose. That anointing, what is the anointing? It's, the, pro- it's the, the presence of God when he comes, and he comes for a purpose, to break the yokes. And, boy, he broke them over this young woman's life yesterday, and um, I just thank God for being able to be there with her. Um, first of all, I want to thank the ladies for last Friday. We got together and um, put together some of the shoeboxes for the Operation Christmas Child. And um, we still do need some shoeboxes. So if you have any old shoeboxes, they need to be standard size boxes so that we can really fill them packed full of stuff for the kids. So if you have any shoeboxes at home laying around, we could sure use a couple. Um, the announcement for December 11th for the Christmas celebration, we still need gifts. Uh, Alyssa informed me today that these gifts are from ages basically 0 up to 18. She has been getting some phone calls from people that are requesting that they be um, registered for the gifts. We are telling people they must register, okay, because we don't want to short, be short a gift. We want to know that they're coming and have one here ready and waiting for them. Um, you, if you don't want to buy a gift and you just want to give money or gift cards, we can use those as well. Um, all are welcome, so invite your friends to come. And if somebody can't come that night to the celebration, um, that's okay, but we are asking them to come the next Sunday to, uh, to the service. Um, we don't want them just to say, hey, we want to register and then come and pick up a gift. This is an outreach. We want them to hear the word of God. We want them to, to be ministered to in that way. So if you want to register for that, or if you know people who would like to register for that, maybe they're in a situation where they've lost their jobs and just don't know what they're going to have for Christmas, that's, that's wonderful. Um, this Saturday is Hallelujah Night. I've had some people say that they want to come for the laser tag, which is wonderful. Be there 15 minutes earlier than the specified 5 o'clock. The reason for that is they start the laser tag right at 5 o'clock. Like that's our time slot, and they don't give us any grace with that. So we'll have two sessions like we normally do, but they do start right at 5. So if anybody wants to come, just let me know. I'll put them in, in order on the, on the Teams list, and that's uh, this Saturday. <laughs> I forgot there for a second. This Saturday, 5 to 7, they close early. So, um, What's that? Yeah, and just, I mean, even if you don't have kids come, we have a lot of fun. We just sit there and eat. <laughs> we sit and have fun eating together. Yeah, um, Tuesday night we are doing prayer school at my house again, and it's from 6.30 to 8. Now, I have had some people ask me why at my house. The reason is very simple, because the, the church is too cold. <laughs> As we're getting into the the, um, the the winter months, it's too too much to heat up the building, and then just come to my house. And when we get to the point where we're too many there, then we'll come down here and heat it up. But for right now, we'll just meet up there. Um, if you can't get there right at 6:30, it's okay. Come when you can. But we will be ending right at 8 o'clock. Okay. We'll have a little bit of teaching and then time praying. Um, was there any other announcements that needed to be made? Anybody? It feels like I'm missing something. I think we're okay. 